We want to resume our discussion of the prophetic scriptures, the book of Revelation, and today we want to wade into chapter 12. Um, these are the much deeper mysteries uh, recorded in the book of Revelation. As I am <clears throat> studying and reviewing not only the book of Revelation, but the rest of the prophetic scriptures, beginning with Genesis, uh, I am observing that the book of Revelation actually had to be written in the way in which it was written. If you view it as a standalone book in the scriptures, the mysteries are impenetrable because it, it introduces symbols and uh, it moves quickly between heaven and earth. Arguably, it has the most comprehensive uh, set of references throughout the scriptures regarding heaven itself, that um, invisible realm about which so little uh, is otherwise said, uh, in Scripture. So it would be an impenetrable mystery, but for the fact of how it's actually constructed. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to Him, uh, as it said in the first chapter, uh, to make known uh, to His servants and uh, concerning It's really the summation of everything written in the scriptures. So in, in that sense also, it is of necessity the concluding book in the scriptures. In a sense, it's the, it's the biblical codicil. It's the, the way that everything is summed up in the book, but it is also the summary of everything in Christ. That's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is that which God gave him, the ministry and the mission of Christ in creation, both his, his sojourn in heaven and his time on the earth. They must keep in mind, Christ himself, though manifested in time and space, as the third representation of the Godhead, namely that of the Son, and particularly and principally the obedient Son, is also about how the obedient Son is clothed with the Father. And in that regard, He represents the Father not just as one doing the will of God, but one doing the will of God by the power of God and therefore clothed with the glory of God. He is the exousia of God's, uh, of God's dunamis. He is the executive authority by which God's power is displayed most completely in creation. Now, it is true that once creation was accomplished, 
it didn't need to be redone. So Jesus did not redo creation when He was here, but He revealed its secrets and He did so by both words and deeds. Uh, In His words He explained the mystery of the Father, particularly and principally putting on display both in revealed word and in in, uh, obedient function, He puts on display the love of God and in that sense He completely shows us the Father and in that sense also it is true that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form in the earth. So this revealing of Christ is also what He Himself said would happen upon His return to heaven, that is namely that He would send the Holy Spirit who would reveal His nature, reveal what His his, uh, work on earth was about, which in turn through the apostles, the Holy Spirit then, and, and the writers of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit then reveals what is otherwise the mystery of Christ. Now all of that is is critical in our understanding of the symbolic nature of the book of Revelation. As you can see, if we simply approach the book of Revelation uh, without reference to its central purpose, which is to summarize all of Scripture in which there has been a, a proceeding forth from God of the person of Christ, together with all of the attendant and relevant aspects of this proceeding, one who proceeds from the Father. Now in His procession, in His procession there's a beginning and there's an end. And so the book of Revelation is both the summary of how He has proceeded through Scripture and the ending of how He proceeds through Scripture. So with that said, you know, it's, it, 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 the references to other books in the Scriptures almost assaults you <laughs> for their sheer directness. And, and one of the devices that the Holy Spirit uses in assuring us that a thing is true is the repeating cycles of things. God speaks to us, and we know this, God speaks to us through types and shadows, He speaks to us through symbols, He speaks through us through numbers, uh, He speaks to us in dreams and in visions. And in all of them there is this repetition, as it were, the wheel within the wheel. And this, this use of repetition uh, has multiple layers of value to it. One is that it shows us the thing uh, in its smallest appearance and then it amplifies it outward while, while filling everything, filling heaven and earth with the revelation. So for example, as from a seed fruit ultimately comes, so the revelation of scriptural things 
The revelation of what God has in mind is first inserted as a seed, but it grows exponentially, but every succeeding or successive manifestation of this principle takes on greater mass, takes on greater weight. But although it moves outward toward its, its intended fulfillments, it remains a certain, it retains a certain perfect consistency. And, and in that sense, God means for us to be able to rely. You know, the, the scriptures are how God means, one of the principal ways in which God means to communicate with us. So if everything is a new thing, then you're never sure what it means. If it's then just a disconnected collection of, of stories without any prevailing trend, without any observable themes, without any noticeable patterns. God knew that He was writing to men, uh, men and women, who, whose point of reference would be the tangible. And yet He understands that He Himself is invisible and to a great extent intangible because of the, because of the nature of invisibility. So He writes with that structure. The thing you must understand is God is not a figment of our imagination, He's not an enigma, uh, He's not a mystery that cannot be understood. He means to be understood. One of the habits of God revealed in Scripture is His penchant toward incarnation. He's constantly, one of the themes of God is His intent to clothe Himself with a body. Whether He comes down uh, on the mountain uh, or uh, with Moses or He appears in the person of Christ, His intent is to, or He appears collectively in the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. His intent is to be known, His intent is to be understood. He understands that He cannot be contained in His entirety in, any, in anything in creation and He understands that all creation actually exists within the being of God. He holds everything in the breath of a hand, of his hand, uh, everything operates out of the deep. Therefore, you can never get outside of God to see God, so there's no vantage point from which to observe God in his entirety. He must be known through his impressions, he must be known through the way he affects things, uh, and there has to be a tautology, a recognizable pattern of depending, of, of, of reliable symbols and understandings which open up to greater and greater revelation. And that is the book of Revelation. That's why it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And now I, I chose to introduce the studies in in the twelfth chapter this way, because for for the first half of the book, 
you're going to be shown in, in succession the same mystery referenced from Genesis all the way through the Scriptures and concluding here in the book of Revelation. Let me jump right into it so you can see what I mean. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars." By the way, the word crown there is the word diadem as opposed to Stefanu. Stefanu is more the uh, a crown that is placed upon the head of successive kings within a dynasty the same crown. So so that would be the notion of an investiture, Uh, Stefanu would be the term for that. But this is is the word diadem and uh, it's more like a garland, um, an overcoming, as in the games, as in uh, an adornment of uh, glory uh, in the games, in, in, in associated with like the Olympic Games. Anyway, but I'll come back to that. Just those few verses, uh, actually just that one verse, let me unpack some of what is meant here. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. This would be the visible heavens and understandably it references a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, when creation was established, the book of Genesis chapter 1, on the fourth day God created the sun the moon and the stars, and He set them in the firmament of the heavens and He said that they were for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. So one of the primary purposes for the sun, the moon, the stars was for signs and seasons. Now, of course, in their proper uh, in their proper metric, these are all lights. Lights. The greatest of the light is the sun. So, the sun has a dual meaning. It is either the physical sun bringing light to the day or the Son of Righteousness who arises with healing in His wings, the Lord, a, a, a typology of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The moon is a reflection of the sun and it lights the night, lights the night skies so that you don't walk in 
the darkness of ignorance even in a time uh, of less light. And then the stars are configured in the heavens to indicate things that are happening on the earth. And again, the stars are points of light in the night sky, visible in the night sky. Uh, and again, because before what is presently called light pollution, before electricity and the lighting up of cities, uh, city dwellers today rarely ever see uh, the night sky. But in the ancient world, the night sky was uh, a display of the glory of God. In fact, the psalmist says, for the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. It was always understood that there were configurations, unique configuration of stars to indicate things that were passing, as it were, from the invisible heavens into the earth. So in a sense the visible heavens were as a screen or a membrane separating between the invisible and the visible. And upon this screen God would project uh, in the timeliness of it through the configuration of stars, God would project events that were happening on the earth. Um, this, is, this has been true nearly as long as human beings have taken notice and written about the night sky. For example, Joseph had visions in which he saw the sun, the moon and the stars bowing down to him. Uh, he understood the meaning of the vision to be that his, his uh, mother, father and his brothers would bow down to him. Well, in truth that did occur um, and you know the story of, of Joseph. The, the probably the principal example of the stars uh, indicating a time and a season for the passing of things that were originally housed in heaven, making the transition into the earth. Perhaps the greatest of these was when the Lord Jesus Christ Himself came to the earth. We know from the prophetic scriptures He said, uh, a body you have prepared for me. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. But in the stars that were seen in the following way, some wise men, and wise men often were uh, said to derive their wisdom from the study of the stars. Uh, many ancient societies excelled in studying the stars. One of these obscure societies is the Mayan society in South America, in Mexico and, and South America. I visited um, the ruins at Palenque numerous times in the times that I spent uh, working in Mexico. And uh, I, I, could, I went up uh, on some of their pyramids um, 
in one in particular that had an, had, has the last remains of a stone observatory and the Mayan calendar is re- remarkably accurate in terms of seasonal changes and the like. Uh, here I'm not endorsing um, the Mayans' view of the heavens, I'm merely saying that ancient societies, the wisest of men in ancient societies, frankly the prophets um, in those societies, scan the heavens looking for signs. And why not? God said these stars were set in the heavens for signs and for seasons. Uh, There's a difference between astronomy and astrology. The element of astrology that has to do with the occult is the perversion of this wisdom, the perversion of the knowledge that may be be, uh, observed in the configuration of the stars. But the study of the stars and the observation of phenomena that appears uh, and is recorded by the stars is not unbiblical. In fact, it is divinely intentioned. Now, this woman, and we haven't said who she is yet, but she had a crown of 12 stars. Why not 11? Why not 13? And why even mention the number of stars? Why not simply say a crown of stars? Well, that of course is because of the significance of 12, the number 12. The number 12 was the foundation of the nation of Israel, 12 sons. It's also the foundation of the kingdom of heaven, 12 apostles. It stands for government. So the number 12 is a flashing sign that he means to talk about the kingdom of heaven or about rule of some sort. So in heaven there are 24 elders before the throne because the kingdom of heaven has two domains of rule, heaven and earth, twelve times two. Who is the woman then? This is a summary. It's a summary of that representation of a carrier of seed to produce a child. Now keep in mind, When Jesus was born, there was a star observed by these uh, astronomers, wise men, and what they observed was a star, and historians tell us it was the time of the appearing of a star called the desire of the ages, and it appeared in heaven in the heavens, in the constellation called Virgo. Now there's also a constellation called Draco, 
which is the dragon. But Virgo is the constellation called the virgin or the woman. So when the virgin appeared in heaven with the desire of the ages, the star called the desire of the ages, positioned in the constellation Virgo, the wise men knew something about what was happening on the earth. They knew that on the earth a woman, a virgin, would conceive a son and they followed the star from the upper reaches of the Euphrates all the way to Bethlehem and they found on earth as it was in heaven they found the child. Now they didn't just come looking for a child, they came looking for the living God because they brought gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, fit for a king, yes, but they said in their own words, they were seeking someone who was born uh, for the exclusive purpose of coming to worship him. Their words were, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So it was a God king they were looking for. Typically you didn't worship a king, typically you honored a king, you fell before the king and the like, but they had come expressly to worship him. Now, putting it all together, in this woman she is clothed with the light of the sun, she's clothed with the light of the moon, she's clothed with a crown of twelve stars, the very idea of a crown suggesting rule and the number twelve suggests the kingdom of heaven. So it's a picture. Now this picture repeats itself throughout scripture. One of the points of reference is Israel in Egypt or Israel itself uh, because it's out of Israel as a mother that the promised Messiah came. Jesus was promised as the seed of Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Originally Eve carried this title because the the word says when, when God spoke to Eve and to the serpent, God said to Eve, uh, to the serpent, that the seed of the woman, which is the offspring literally, the offspring of the woman will crush your head. Now I think you can see at just a glance, we spent thirty minutes just explaining how these, this one verse is so rich in the symbology of prophetic scripture speaking to all that would be represented in the person of Christ, not just from Eve 
or from Abraham, but all the way through to Israel, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the body of Christ. That's the, that's the, the intended path for the fulfillment of this. A wheel within a wheel within a wheel within a wheel. And instead of this being confusing, it ought to be very, very comforting to us because God is staying on course. I'm Sam Solon and we'll continue to unpack Revelation 11. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.